0: Well, good morning. If you would uh, join me and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. I'll start reading in verse 41, but we'll spend our time looking at verses 42 through 47. If you want to use the Pew Bible, that's going to be on page 911. That's page 911 in the Pew Bible, Acts chapter 2. We'll begin, begin reading verse 42 in just a few minutes. If you don't know me, I'm uh, Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's not often that I preach that Stephen's actually here. So um, glad you're here, brother. You normally do the call to worship. So uh, my first words today are to preaching uh, to you all. So I'm thankful for that. This passage, um, I've been thinking about it for about three weeks. And I might end up like Joseph a little bit, where there's often times we've seen in Genesis where. It just like this little aside, he's crying. Um, that has been uh, my story is I've been thinking about this passage. Not in sadness, but it's actually tears of joy. Because as we get into it, I, I think you'll see it's a very sweet passage. Hopefully it will be very encouraging to us as a church. But at the same time, I hope it challenges us. Two of the reasons, and these are just two of many reasons... Um, that I can think of, I'm thankful for this passage, helping me reflect on this church, is one, just a couple of weeks ago, four of the elders from our church and a few other men went to a conference in Kentucky. And I'm just thankful that I get to do life with these men. Riding in a car for eight and a half hours with them. They had to put up with my driving for most of that. But just thinking, God, thank you for these men. And then standing with them, singing praises to God, saying, God, thank you for these men. And then the second of many, many things I could say today is I'm thankful for this body and my community group. Because you know me. And I think uh, maybe if I could say the words of Pastor Stephen, I've heard, heard him say before is first and chiefly, I'm a member of Hamilton Baptist Church. I have the privilege of pastoring here. I know he means that genuinely, and I genuinely and deeply mean that too. Because there's no telling where I might be if it weren't for this church. And I don't mean where I might be somewhere else pastoring, but in life. How much sin has God kept me from, spared me from, because of this body who knows me? The deep friendships that I have that will last forever. And I know they continue or will continue to nourish my soul and remind me of Christ. And so for this passage, I'm very thankful it has been before me for the last three weeks. Yet also, I hope it, it has challenged me and I hope it challenges you. Because we still have work to do. We still have ways that we can grow as a body. We may be even tempted to be distracted by the things in life. Things that allure us, our attention, away from God and his people. And they can even be very good things. Things that keep us from being wholly devoted to God and to one another. And so I hope this in very many ways is encouraging. But I also hope this is a challenge to us as a church. I've been asking God to do that in me and in us. So let's go now to him in prayer. Father, I thank you for this church. Would you use your word today to comfort the downtrodden? Would you use your word today to encourage us to continue on in what we know is good and right? And yet, would you also use the same word to challenge us that we might be a people continuing to strive after you, our great God? We also thank you for families like the Webers and some of our Patrick Henry students who will be moving on soon. We thank you for the Webers and the time that they have been with us. We ask that you would help them to find a church in Guam quickly that they can be a part of. That they can live out this passage that we are going to consider in just a few moments. Be with them. Guide them. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen Most, if not, all people desire to be accepted in life. We, wanna, we want to fit in. We want to belong to something. We want to be loved and feel welcomed. And I believe this is true about believers and non-believers. right? Non-believers search for this sense of love and acceptance. ...with people maybe through hobbies... ...or from the workplace or social, circle, social circles like the neighborhood or the golf course. Believers, however, were supposed to be different. In Matthew 12, Jesus speaking to the crowds and his disciples says... ...who is my mother and who are my brothers? He says, here are my mother and my brothers... Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my brother, and sister. And then we get to passages like we're going to look at here in Acts 2 that teach us more about the church. They give us a picture of the church. And it's actually, I think when we look at it, it's going to be a picture of a church that we all want. That we all want to be a part of. So let's look now at Acts chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. As any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 41 reminds us of. What uh, you heard maybe four weeks ago when I was preaching through Acts chapter 2. That is that the church is quickly growing. People are hearing God's word preached. They're believing. They're being baptized and then added to the church. So as we look at verses 42 through 47, I think these three questions will help be helpful for us as we walk through the text. So the first question we'll look at is what does this look like or what does this church look like? We'll see what keeps us from having it. And we'll also ask the question, how do we get it? So let's look at question one now. What does this church look like? I think verse 42 is helpful. If we think about it as a summary verse for everything that follows in 43 through Forty-seven, And so it says, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So the first thing they do, what what is it? They're they're devoting themselves. They're all about the apostles' teaching. They're a learning church that grounds its its experiences. Remember what what happened earlier in Acts chapter 2? The Spirit descends... Peter preaches, and three thousand people come to faith. They're grounding their experience in God's word, the apostles' teaching. That's what they're devoting themselves to. And if we were to, if we look to Acts chapter one, just briefly, verses twenty-one and twenty-two remind us what what's significant about these apostles. Why is it that we should be devoting ourselves to their teaching? Well, verses twenty-one and twenty-two say. That the disciples were with Christ from the beginning, from his baptism with John until the day he was taken up. So when his ministry started, being baptized, everything he's teaching for three years, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his 40 days on earth, his ascension, these disciples are with him, learning from him. And then in verse 21 of Acts chapter 1, sorry, verse 24 of Acts chapter 1, it says, they prayed and said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all, who show which one you have chosen. So they're, they're talking about replacing Judas. Who is it that we should add to the, amongst the, the 12 disciples? Well, it's not only one who has seen and walked and heard and, and seen Jesus raised from the grave and ascended to heaven. It's also one that God chooses. And so in that regard, that's why we should listen to the apostles' teaching. There are men who spent years with Christ, were chosen by God for this task of apostleship. So Jesus taught the apostles. Now the apostles are to make disciples by teaching Jesus. Sounds like the Great Commission, right? And then we see in verse 43, And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So, these wonders, these signs, they're accompanying the apostles' teaching. They're meant to, to verify or validate that the apostles are truly, these, are, are truly apostles. And so, as they're teaching and performing these signs and wonders, awe is coming upon all of these people, all of the Christians. And they're hungry to learn, to study. The apostles' teaching. John Stott wrote, One might perhaps say that the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem that day. Its teachers were the apostles, whom Jesus had appointed, and there were 3,000 pupils in kindergarten. Right? The apostles are teaching. They're teaching Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. And who is it that's learning? Who is it that's sitting at their feet? It's the believers. It's the church. The church is to be a teaching church, heralding Christ. The church is to be a learning and studying church, knowing their Savior. So I want to ask you, do you hunger for the word? Do you hunger for the apostles' teaching? And I don't mean do you just come hoping to hear a good sermon. I mean, do you actually genuinely Hunger to know God through his word. That's even why after we read scripture, many times we say, this is the word of God. Kids, students, we don't just say that because it's a formality. We do that with intentionality, reminding us it is God who speaks to us through his word. And so let's be a church that's eager to study that's eager to hear the apostles' teaching, the word of God. But that's not all, right? They were also not just about the apostles' teaching, they were also about the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Many of you uh, who maybe have been Christians for any time now probably know this Greek word. I don't even need to tell you. You could say it's koinonia, right? And then immediately, what do you think of? Well, you're a Baptist, so you think of food, right? It's potlucks, it's big meals, and we sit down together and we enjoy a good meal. You can't get away from that if you're Baptist, okay? But fellowship in the biblical sense, it has something to do with you share something in common. You hold something in common together. And the early church held something in common. I think the Apostle John's words are very helpful right here. From 1 John 1, 3. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you. What is that? It's Christ. So he's seen, he's heard Christ, he's proclaiming Christ. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So this fellowship, it's a... It's something that's shared in common. It's not necessarily food, although it's great if that comes with it. It's Christ. It's God the Father. That we are united with him in faith, and now because we're united with Christ, we are now united together. We have something in common. We can fellowship deeply with each other. The early church did that. They believed this fellowship was so deep, this bond was so deep, that if you look at verses 44 and 45 with me, it reads, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In the very beginning of 46, it says, And they did this day by day. So, their, their fellowship is in what they've believed. Their commonality is in what they've believed. And what results, it's not teaching that uh, we should be pro communism or socialism, but it's saying that your fellowship's built on belief and it leads to, guess what? It leads to eBay, yard sales, and consignment sales. Why is that? It's because, what is it? Their bond is so deep in Christ. They're willing to sacrifice to sell the things they have so that they can then give to those who are in need. I've experienced this numerous times in the church. Most recently was yesterday. My oldest, Alana, is graduating from high school this year, to which we give thanks to God. And we're trying to bring in family. Family her family, and my family, and my wife's family. And if you know anything about extended families, of course, it's never in your own um, family, but it's always the extended family, right? My extended family is messy. And we're trying to navigate what to do with all of this. And I'm talking about this with community group on Thursday night, and then again on Friday morning with somebody from my community group. Because he knows the tensions that are going on. And he's willing to step into the mess with me. Because we have fellowship in Christ. He sent me a text yesterday. It didn't say this, but this is essentially what he said. "Is I'm willing to step into your mess to help you out, to bear your burden, because I know you need it. To which I say, praise be to God. I need this type of church. You need this type of church that's willing to sacrifice for one another. The early church's fellowship was built on their common belief. It wasn't built on their hobbies or interests. Their fellowship was founded on Christ. But that wasn't all. They were also devoted to breaking of bread. So this exact meaning of breaking of bread here is debated. Some say it's strictly talking about the Lord's Supper. Some say it's that plus uh, uh, meals that they're sharing more than just as they worship together. And you see that also in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God. I think probably both of those are in view here. They're observing the Lord's Supper together as they worship, and they're also sharing meals in their homes. And even if we just think about the Lord's Supper for a second, and how that's a beautiful picture of the church, and what we have in Christ, it's that the Lord's Supper pictures our fellowship with Christ, with God, Because of Christ. But you don't do it alone. You do it here as a body. Because we're united to Christ and we're united to one another. And so the Lord's Supper, even what we'll take in just a few moments. As we take that, let's not just think it's just me individually. But it's us corporately. Us together. Rejoicing. Celebrating what's been done for us in Christ, but we do it together. And then we also see they're also all about praying, right? They were devoted. They devoted themselves to the prayers. And this term in the Greek, it's pretty technical. So I want you to listen carefully, okay? It means they prayed together. All right? They prayed together. Prayer is essential to God's people. Jesus was constantly withdrawing to pray. His disciples must have seen that right when he withdrew early in the morning and he comes back. Maybe they're waking up as he comes back. They know their Lord was praying. He was praying. When he was betrayed in the garden, he was praying as he cried out on the cross. The apostles in the early church did the same thing. We see in Acts 1.14, there are 120 of them are praying together. The early church prayed together. And we're not just talking about private prayer, although that's important. We're talking about it's important for God's people to gather together, corporately, to pray to him. So you've already heard Pastor Stephen talk about this coming Saturday, May 7th at 6.30. I want you here. I want to pray with you. I need you. Let us go together to God and seek Him. That's what the early church was doing. The early church is about the apostles' teaching, they're about the fellowship, they're about the breaking of bread, they're all about praying together. So let's consider our second question now. What keeps us from having this type of church? Well, in some regard, I think we're we're doing well. I'm sorry. But yet I think we have room to grow. Look at verse 42. I think it answers for us that question. And they did what? They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And you might read that and you might say, well, that's pretty ordinary. You might even think, well... 3,000 people just came to faith. The Holy Spirit had descended, right? And if you were to go ahead and, and, well, we've already read it once, but we'll look at it a little bit later. Verse 47 talks about God's adding to their number day by day. They have to be doing some crazy, extraordinary things. They've got to be pursuing wild things, right? They've got to have the best, loudest praise band. They've got to have a super backdrop for the stage so that when you turn the lights out, everybody wants to come. That's how you get 3,000 people. That's how you grow day by day. No. They're doing what we might call ordinary things. It's not just doing, but it says they're devoted. So I wonder what what you might be devoting yourself to. Is it these ordinary Christian things? Or are you devoting yourself to students, baseball, or soccer, football, lacrosse, or track, or good grades? Parents, maybe you're devoting yourselves to your kids' sports, or to social media, or to work. I'm not saying that you can't do any of these things, right? I'm saying we should probably do lots of these things. But while we do them, we don't have to be devoted to them. There's nothing greater that we can do than to devote ourselves to the ordinary, you might say disciplines, of the Christian life. Because even though they're ordinary, it does not mean that they're not life transforming. So we should be devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. To fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to, to praying. Yet many of us shy away from that. We don't want ordinary, right? Michael Reeves, in an article from 2014, says: ordinary has to be one of the loneliest words in our vocabulary today. Who wants a bumper sticker that announces to the neighborhood? My child is ordinary student at Bumbling Brook Elementary. Who wants to be that ordinary person who lives in an ordinary town, is a member of an ordinary church, has ordinary friends, and works an ordinary job? We're prone to thinking our life has to count. We need to be radical disciples, taking our faith to a whole new level, right? And all of this should be something that can be managed, measured, and maintained. Maybe even through Facebook and Instagram. But he goes on to say, ordinary does not mean mediocre. Athletes, architects, humanitarians, artists can vouch for the importance of everyday faithfulness to mundane tasks that lead to excellence. But even if we are not headliners in our various callings, it is enough to know that we are called by God to maintain a faithful presence in his world. We look up in faith toward God and out toward our neighbors in love and good works. You don't have to transform the world to be a faithful mom or dad, sibling, church member, or neighbor. And who knows, maybe if we discover the opportunities of the ordinary, a fondness for the familiar, and a wonder for the mundane, maybe we will end up being radical after all. You see, I think this is true. I think ordinary things done consistently and frequently have a way of shaping and molding us in radical ways as God transforms us into the image of Christ. Think about it. God did extraordinary things through very ordinary means. Just think about Jesus who called 12 ordinary men, some of them blue-collar fishermen and IRS agents. What did they do? You got Some of you got it now, OK? Tax collectors, IRS agents. All right. It wasn't as good as I was hoping, maybe. <laughs> and what did Jesus do with them? He didn't put them through the school of supernatural healing. So that they could then, when he's gone, then do wonderful miracles that everyone bows a knee and proclaims Christ. He put them through his life. He said, come follow me. Listen to me. Observe my life and believe in me. And then when I'm gone, they're empowered after the resurrection to teach. To teach Christ. And so what if we were a people... Known for being devoted to our great God in ordinary ways. Maybe you'd be less inclined to miss Sunday gatherings because of sports or because you stayed up late the night before. Maybe you'd be more committed to the people of Hamilton Baptist Church. Maybe you would see community group life as something that truly benefits your spiritual life and you wouldn't just go when it's convenient. Maybe you'd see this church as the people who will help you get to heaven. The people that will help you walk the straight and narrow way to be with Christ one day that leads to eternal life. Maybe you'd be willing to sacrifice for the good of others. Maybe you'd be willing to take money out of savings so that you can meet the need of a brother and sister. Maybe you'd be willing to serve in children's worship once every six weeks. Maybe you'd be willing to greet people with a smiling face as they come in on Sundays and not just because you're on the hospitality team. Maybe you'd be willing to hang out and talk with some of our youth, get to know them. And I'm not talking about teaching right now. Maybe you'd just be willing to come and hang out with them so that they know that there's somebody, somebody in their life that knows them. That genuinely cares about them and wants them to know God loves you too. Maybe as we do ordinary things, things like being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and praying together, maybe we would fall more deeply in love with God and his people. Maybe we'd be quicker to speak of him, of whom we delight in so much. And maybe God would add to our number day by day. Because we're constantly talking about Christ, the one that we delight in above all things. So, church, I pray that we would be devoted to the seemingly ordinary. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I know this can be hard. It's easy to be distracted. So how do we get it? A third question, how do we get it? It's simple in concept. Difficult at times to apply. That is, remember God who is devoted to you. Right, we've been trekking through Genesis. The same God who is devoted to Abraham. The man who tried to give his wife away two different times to save his own skin. The same God who's devoted to saving his people by providentially superintending everything in Joseph's life. The same God who's devoted to Israel by bringing them through the wilderness for 40 years into the promised land. He's the same God who's devoted to Israel by giving them a king after his own heart. The same God who sends the prophets to call his people back to him. Is the same God who's devoted to you. The, or, or, to, who's devoted to sending the one and only son to live a perfect life. To die on the cross and be, have our sins washed white as snow. Is the same God who's devoted to raising Christ from the dead. Showing that there's nothing. Not even death that can stay the hand of God. The same God is devoted to you. The same God is devoted to you. Remind yourselves that God is devoted to you. He's devoted to you. Here's just one way, thinking about salvation. I think there's more than just salvation, but He is devoted to your salvation, right? He initiated the work of salvation by sending Christ He's devoted to you by promising that He will work your salvation out to the end so that one day you will be made perfect. He's the same God who's devoted to bringing you into the fullness of His presence where there is fullness of joy. He's the same God who's devoted to you by never leaving nor forsaking you in this life. He's the same God who's devoted to working all things out for His glory. And you're good. God is devoted to you, Christian. God's devoted to you. If you don't have this God, if you're here and you've been invited by a friend, or you just showed up, we are thankful you are here. We want you to know about this great God who's devoted to you, who has sent his Son to die on a cross that you might be forgiven of sin that you've committed that has, has alienated you from God. I would love to talk with you after the service. There are plenty of people that would love to talk with you about the service, but you should hear God is devoted to saving. He saved us. He stands willing to save those who have not placed faith in him yet. So may we be a God who's, or may we be a people who's devoted to our great God through ordinary ways, that is the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And we see in verse 47 that when the church was doing this, when they were devoting themselves to these seemingly ordinary things, they had favor with all people, and the Lord ...added to their number day by day... ...those who are being saved. Now, I'm not promising... ...I don't think this passage is promising you... ...that if you are devoting yourselves to God... ...every single circumstance in life... ...you will have people pleased with you. And I don't think it's also promising... ...or it's not also promising... ...that if we devote ourselves to these things... ...that God will add people to our number every day. But although it's not a promise... It doesn't mean that he can't do that. It doesn't mean that he can't still save. And I wonder if sometimes we practically believe that. So I want us to be a church that's devoted to God, a church that's devoted to his people, and like the rarest of diamonds in the noonday sun, that we might be a church that shines brightly. Commending our great God to this world. Let's go to him in prayer now. Father, we come to you today. And we thank you for your word. I ask that... You would comfort us, yet you would still challenge us that we might be a people that are devoted to you. And that we'd be devoted to one another. We'd be devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and praying. Doing what seems to be ordinary things for you, our great God. We want to know you through that is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.